you. Ready to go? Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Same series of visions here as last week in chapter 12. Connected, I think, kind of, okay, the dragon has been thrown down to earth. Now, how does that play out? How does he make war on the saints? How does he persecute? He's angry because his place in the heavenly court is no more. Can't devour Jesus. He tried, so now he tries to devour you. How does that play out? And John, in uh, visionary form, gives us that truth and that reality. So let's read um, chapter 13. We're going to split it up into two weeks. We get to Palm Sunday next week, so we'll, we'll be a couple weeks away from Revelation. Then we'll come back to the second beast uh, in verse 11. So read with me, 13.1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Let me go back. End of chapter 12. And he, the dragon, stood... On the sand of the sea. And then John sees a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people, language, nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray for endurance. As we resist, as we stand firm, as we go on offense against the beast, the dragon, the false prophet, grant us endurance, grant us strength. And through the deep waters you call us to go, may the rivers of sorrow not overflow. Be with us, help us, strengthen us, cause us to stand by your omnipotent hand. Lord, many of us are weary today. We're stressed. We've got a lot on our minds, and we need a word from you. So would you speak to us? Would you be faithful to your promises? We pray, would you use me, uh, just a humble servant, Lord, a slave to Christ, that's all. 
And I pray for these brothers and sisters that their faith would be encouraged, that they would lay down their burdens, the weights that they're carrying, they would give them to you, they would come clean, and they would come to Jesus in this time. We pray for your glory alone. Amen. This is an interesting part of Revelation, am I right? It's just interesting stuff. We're, uh, uh, this is like the fantasy book your 12-year-old is reading. You know, it's like, what is going on? What is happening? If you don't have a church background or you're, you're new to Revelation, you start hearing me talk or you're reading this and you're like, you people are so weird. Like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. This is crazy. Well, We are a little weird as Christians, and hopefully in a good way, but let me help you understand a little bit what this book is. We've talked about it before, but let me remind you um, where we are. Revelation is a book of symbolism. It uses imagery, numbers, to communicate truth, to reveal the true nature of reality, to reveal Jesus Christ, the unveiling, revealing. That's what the apocalypse is of Jesus Christ. And it does it through images that you have to imagine. Like a beast with how many ever horns and heads and crowns. You get a little bit of a sense of it with emojis. Okay, You know you don't send always a full text explaining exactly what you mean. You send an emoji. An image, like instead of saying, I love you and affirm everything you just said and appreciate it, you send a big red heart. And they get it. They get that, what that means, the person on the other end. You hope they get it. Uh, and maybe it's more powerful even than if you, you wrote a long text of explanation just to see that emoji. Uh, uh, what else is there? The, the hundred emoji, I'm, I'm getting older. I don't know what the kids are doing these days. I know they have all secret codes with emojis and stuff that they're using. Not all of those are good, but um, the, the hundred emoji, okay, it's a number. It means like support, approval, I think. Like this is good, you know, keep it real, keep it a hundred. I like that one. Or the fire emoji, that's like good burn if you, you know, take somebody down or like you're on fire you look good. We'll keep it church appropriate. You look good. Um, you know, what else? I don't know. Revelation is like that. Revelation is like that. Dragons, beasts, black riders, lampstands, uh, white robes, scrolls, numbers like 666. Connecting to your imagination, connecting to your emotion in a way that just prose doesn't necessarily do. We like Paul's letters. We like legal argumentation. That's good. But apparently we also need this. Apparently God made us and he knows us and he knows we need images. We need symbols. Now the original hearers of this letter when someone stood up in a church and and read it, this is from the Apostle John reading this to you as God's word, they got this. They connected with it. We are modern Western people, and we like raw data. We like information just straight to us, linear. Give us the facts. Uh, Give us a tweet. I just want to know, you know, why can't God just tell us when it's supposed to happen, where, how, in like a sentence? Why can't he do that? Apparently, this is better. It's better. 
So keep working at trying to understand it. Is, is it getting a little easier the more that we do it? You're like, no, not really. I hope it is. It's getting easier for me. I'm learning right along with you. Okay, I, I, it's, it's a, a, a pleasant difficulty to, to wrestle with these passages every week and to make decisions on what they mean. It's hard. But keep at it. This is for you. This is not just for me. This is for you. And I know I got after you last week about uh, understanding the Bible, that you can understand the Bible. And you're like, please, no, not again. No, no more almost bad words. We can't take it anymore. We're Baptists. It makes us very uncomfortable when you start talking like that. I won't even talk about Awana Awards night, what happened there. We won't e- if you were there, you know what happened. We're not going to go there. But I'm going to keep pushing you because you need it. Not to beat you up, not to beat you up, not to make you feel bad, but to remind you and to help you wake up to who you are. And what you have in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you just need an ice bath to like snap you out of it. Because some of you have adopted and believed the lie. It's lodged deep in your mind that you cannot understand the Bible. That's for Justin. That's for the professionals. That's for the smart people. I'm looking around. I see if you, oh, you know, this person, Dave, Doug, Dylan, Brett. Okay, this is for those people. Not for me. It's for Sony. It's for Nikki. It's for Stacy. It's for whoever. Judy. Not for me. And that's a lie. That's a lie. So I'm going to keep hitting you with the truth. That this is for you. This is for you. I want you on the field. God wants you on the field. Satan wants you on the bench. It's too much. I can't do it. I've tried. I went to Sunday school for two weeks and just I'm overwhelmed. It's too hard. So I'm going home. And you know, some of you have woken up and it's so fun to see. It's so fun to see after years of apathy and passivity and excuses that now the word of God is coming alive because you're digging in. It's so fun. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest privileges as a pastor to see that happen in people's lives. And it doesn't happen unless you press in and you don't give up. But it will. If you're a Christian, it will. I promise you that. I can guarantee you that. So keep applying yourself. Keep humbling yourself. It's a humble thing to say, I, I need help. Help me understand this. All right, let's go. Chapter 13. Remember, context, chapter 12, very connected. Jesus defeats Satan by being born, defeats him at the cross, the resurrection. Def- you defeat him when you die in Christ. And now he's thrown down, and now he's mad. What's he going to do? Make war on the saints. Chapter 12, verse 17. And he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. So the sea is symbolic in the Bible for the enemies of God. Evil kingdoms, chaos, persecution, Leviathan and Isaiah 27 coming out of the sea, the abyss. And God slays him. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, 
with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. This is just voraciously evil. And to it the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. Okay, we've got to spend some time talking about the beast. What is it? When is it? Here's the big idea. The beast is Satan's agent used to oppose God's people. The beast is Satan's agent used to oppose God's people. It takes the form of persons, powers, institutions, cultures, religions, philosophies. Many forms. The beast was, is, and will be. He has come, he is here, and he is coming. He is trans, or it is trans-temporal. Past, present, future. Existing from the time Satan is thrown down from heaven at the cross and resurrection to Jesus' second coming. The beast is active. John is drawing from the imagery of Daniel 7. Four beasts come out of the sea representing evil regimes that oppress, oppose God's people. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, we know that. And John takes all of that imagery, all of that evil, and he mashes it up and gives you the beast. Any evil working through structures or people or ideologies that opposes God's kingdom and his will. Will there be a singular beast figure at the end of history, at the climax of everything? Possibly. For me, probably. Maybe just a a, a climax of the evil at the end, whenever that is, and we don't know. We don't know. but I don't think we should limit the beast to one particular person, one particular government, one particular heresy or false religion. I know I'm nerding out a little bit. We've we got to nerd out on this a little bit. Okay, so hang with me, all right? One commentator says it this way. I think it's helpful. The beast is at one time the Roman Empire. At another, the Arian heresy. At one time, the emperor Decius, third century persecutor of the church. At another, secular evolutionary Darwinism. The beast is the late medieval Roman Catholic papacy. Modern Protestant liberalism, Marxism, the radical feminist movement, the Pelagian heresy, communism, Joseph Stalin, 18th century deism, Roe v. Wade, the state of persecution of Christians in China, Radical Islamic fundamentalism, angry 21st century atheism, etc. Each of these individually and on its own is the beast. All of these are collectively and in unity the beast. I think that's right. It is the power behind the power. The evil behind the evil. And knowing that, We shouldn't be scared. We should be aware. 
We shouldn't be complaining, oh, the world's going to hell. We should be discerning. Just be discerning. Be aware. Have your weapons ready. Don't be afraid. This is just, as we're going to see, the beast can't do anything without the delegated authority of God himself. Satan and the dragon can't do anything. They're on a leash. Now, I'm guessing some of you are wondering, as you come to this passage, is this the Antichrist? How does that fit in? What are we talking about here? Is this the same thing? It's interesting. The term Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. Might be surprised to learn that. The only place Antichrist appears is in First and Second John. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to First John. Same author. Okay, John wrote the Apocalypse. John wrote these letters to churches. And good rule of thumb, you want to establish most of your eschatology outside the book of Revelation. Tracking with that? Okay, it's less clear. It's harder to interpret. So, okay, Old Testament, New Testament in particular, Jesus' words, Mark 13, Matthew 24, 25. Okay, try to establish your end-time theology more from the rest of the New Testament than from Revelation so you don't just come to Revelation and try to figure everything out. That's hard. The whole New Testament is eschatologically charged. So look at 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. In other words, it is the end times. That's what we're living in. They were living it, so were we. And as you have heard that Antichrist, which means literally against Christ, is coming so now many antichrists have come. So it may be that these people have heard there's this singular antichrist figure coming. And John says, okay, but don't think like that. Maybe, but don't think like that. You, you, you need to understand you have antichrists all around you right now in your church. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So hear that, Christian? You have been anointed. You, you can know. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So these are people formerly in their church that have left and proven that they were never believers because they've denied Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In chapter 4, he says the Antichrist is already in the world. Here's my conclusion. When he talks about Antichrist, I think John is talking about the blasphemous heretical manifestation of the beast. We, we're saying, okay, the beast can take many forms. I think this is one form. Denying Jesus as the Christ, denying the Father and the Son, denying Jesus has come in the flesh. How many religions, cultures, philosophies agree with those statements today? A lot. 
a lot. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Beast, Antichrist, maybe not exactly the same, but a lot of overlap, I think. A lot of overlap. Certainly connected. Satanic presence behind them both. Okay? Hope that's helpful. Let's keep moving. Verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, and its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, you got to think about this. Can you heal a mortal wound? Can you heal a mortal wound? No, that's a contradiction. It's not a mortal wound if you can heal it. Um, the Greek here is more like as if it had been slain unto death. It's a real death. It, 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 the dragon, the beast, they've been knocked out. Okay, that happened at the cross and resurrection. It's over. The healing is a deception. That the beast, that the dragon is healed, it's sleight of hand. It's a deception. It's Satan wanting to appear as though he has not lost, even though he has. Remember Jesus in chapter 5, John sees him, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Well, Jesus really died too, didn't he? What's the difference between the beast and Jesus? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. He's standing. He conquered death by his death. Beast can't say that. Now, he, it wants to. It wants to mimic God. It wants to mimic Jesus, but it's false. So if you worship Jesus... You worship the truth. If you worship anything and anyone else, it's a lie. It's only the appearance of power. It's only the appearance of strength. It's only the appearance of a resurrection. It's not real. Jesus is real. His power, his strength is real. And anything else that you serve, anything else that you worship, as good as it may be, your family, your friends, your job, this country, your country, whatever that may be, the power, the goodness, the wisdom, as, as true as it may be, it is fleeting. It is just an appearance. It is not ultimate reality. Only Jesus Christ is worthy of your worship as it pertains to ultimate reality. It's a lie. And the world buys it. That the dragon and the beast and everything they stand for, that's where the power is. Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against us? One thing I see here is the deception of fame. I firmly believe the beast is behind fame culture. In the world, in the church, you know the fame culture is in the church. It's not just out there. Don't we do this? Give extra weight, extra authority, extra volume to people who are famous? Why do we do that? People who have been promoted but not tested. 
Think about that. How many people have been promoted or promoted themselves, but their character hasn't been tested? People who may have money, beauty, talent. Uh, They may live in certain parts of the country, certain parts of the world. They have connections, but not character. This is the work of the beast. It's genius. How can I massively influence people toward anti-God thinking, anti-God living? How can I pull them away from Jesus? How can I appeal to their flesh and hide my own weakness and defeat? Fame. It's genius from a diabolical point of view. So be careful with celebrity Christians. You know, I have a lot of people tell me, you know, hey, you know, I think they're a Christian. This person on this show or this person. Okay, maybe. I don't know them. Be careful with celebrity Christians. Be careful, kids, finding your idols and heroes on TV. I'm guessing there's someone in your life, a parent, a grandparent, someone in your church, much more worthy of influencing your life than an influencer on Instagram. Be careful. I'm guessing the TikTok videos you're watching probably are not helping you. Probably are not forming you into the image of Christ, but I know there are people in your life, I'm looking at a lot of them, that would help to do that. If you let them influence you. I'm not talking about God-given influence, okay? God gives people of great character influence. We're thankful for that. Proverbs 22 says that if, if someone does their work skillfully, they're not going to stand before obscure people. They're going to stand before kings. I just take that to mean if you're good at something, you're probably going to have influence. There are people in the church who are good at, at, at preaching, teaching. They're gifts of God. And, and great, they have influence, but just be careful. Just because they're famous doesn't mean anything. Judge based on what they say and what they do and and be local. Be local. This is why we don't put a pastor up on a screen from somewhere else because you don't know him. You don't know his character. I hope we know each other. I live here. I'm among you. Throughout the week, I'm, uh, if I'm a shepherd, okay, and God's calling me to be a shepherd, I'm with the sheep. I know what you smell like. Yeah. And that's, that's right. That's good. That's what, how it's supposed to be. You're supposed, we're supposed to know each other. Because if I'm up on a screen or someone's up on a screen and they're, they're famous and you, you, you're giving heed to them, letting them influence you, Okay, but be careful. Be careful. That's not just promotion, and you don't really know their character. Because they're gifted. It's not bad to be gifted. We're thankful for gifted people. But you tracking with me here? Okay. Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 42 months. That's the time between Christ's coming. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. I love this. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Is that 
Isn't that great? Does that encourage you, Christian? Satan, every manifestation of the beast, beast, they only do what God allows them. Okay, like a dog on a leash. When you take your dog for a walk, how much freedom does it have? About six feet. Yes? And it tries to go past that, and what? Ha- its neck is popping back. You know, you're pulling it. That's Satan's day-to-day existence. So don't be afraid of him. He's only doing what God allows him to do, and he is never off his Leash. Sometimes God allows him to come across a saint and to bite them. Maybe to kill them. But all he does when he conquers in that way is send you to glory. And, and we, I meant to mention in the announcements, we said uh, one of our members, Frida Slaughter, went home. To be with the Lord. So what did death do for her? It just sent her home. Just sent her to glory. That's all Satan can do. That's, that's conquering for him. It's pretty weak. Now skip down to verse 9. We've got to keep moving. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Remember that language from the letters to the churches? John is telling us how to respond to the persecution of the beast, verse 1 through 8. This is very important. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, we talk a lot about Romans 13. Obey the government. It's instituted by God. We say disobey the government if it calls you to sin or it calls you to worship it. It's not worthy of your worship. But here God is calling, to you, calling you to something more. To accept unjust punishment for your faith. Even if it kills you. Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah 43, John's borrowing the language. Basically, here's the, here's the deal. If the Lord has destined you for persecution, suffering, prison, death, because you're a Christian... You are to accept that. You are to endure that with faith. Someone breaks down your door, tries to arrest you, throw you in prison. You are not to cut off their ear with your sword. You are to drink the cup the Father has given you as our Lord Jesus did. Peter, who Jesus taught that lesson in the garden, says this in 1 Peter 2. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. If you do nothing wrong and you suffer and you endure, God loves that. God is pleased with that. I'm not saying we seek it out. We don't seek out the suffering. I'm not saying if someone bangs on your door or, or you don't take any steps to protect your family, protect your church, protect your kids. Not saying that. I'm saying it may bring more glory to Christ if you don't fight back. It may glorify his name if you don't fight back. Simply lay your life down because are you living for this life? 
I hope not. Not as Christians, we're not. So we can lay our lives down as Jesus did because we're living for the life to come. So maybe you don't grab the shotgun. Maybe you don't. You let everyone see you suffer for Jesus. Remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer? That's what he did. The morning of his execution in concentration camp, he held a church service. And he prayed for all the prisoners he was leaving behind. And he, he walked to the gallows. He knew what was happening. He didn't run away screaming. He didn't make a scene. They didn't have to shoot him in the head as he ran away. He accepted it. He accepted it. And that's why we're talking about it today. Christians around the world are having to make these decisions every day. Today. What do I do? What do I do when someone knocks on my door, bangs down my door, comes to arrest me and my family? I saw a documentary recently called Sheep Among Wolves. It's awesome. You can find it on YouTube. It's heavy. It's not a Marvel movie. Okay, it's not like family movie night. It's, it's heavy, but it's awesome. And in it, a, um, a young woman who was converted from radical Islam to Christianity is asked, what will you do if you're together with other women and radical Islamists break down your door and rape you? Which is a very real possibility. Where will you go in your mind? How will you handle that? Will you scream? Will you yell? Will you run out of the room? Will you attack the men? What will you do? Here's what she said. I have given up my rights. I have given up my position. I have given up everything for Jesus. I have given up my desires. I have even given up my future. At that moment, when they come and rape me, I will close my eyes and say, now I offer my body as a living sacrifice for you. As it says in Romans 12, 1. How gracious in the sight of God is that? That is identifying with Jesus in his death. That is sharing in his suffering. And you better believe she's going to share in his resurrection. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you ready? Whatever form it may take for you, have you gone there in your mind? What will I do? What will I do? Will I endure? How will I endure? Am I living for this life or am I living for the next life? I want you to be ready. God wants you to be ready. I don't know what form it's going to take, but I want you to be ready when the pressure comes. And it's, it's come. It's happening. A couple thoughts. Help you get ready for in, to endure when you're tested, when the pressure comes. How do you do it? Number one, come into the light. Come into the light. 
Listen, you cannot possibly endure the assaults of the dragon and the beast if you are hiding things. If you are hiding things, if you have an, a, a, a millstone around your neck of guilt and shame, how are you going to walk, let alone stand, toward heaven? It's impossible. Some of you do. You have secret sins. You have not confessed. You haven't told anyone, and that is exactly what Satan wants because you're, you, you're not going to be able to endure that. So come into the light. Come into the light. Don't you want to lay it down? It's crushing you. I know it is. I know it's crushing you. Lay it down. And if you do that, you are now a problem for, for the enemy because you're free. Now you're free. You have a spring in your step because of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It could blow up your life, yeah? That thing that you're thinking of right now that you haven't told anyone? Yeah, it could blow up your life. I can't promise how it's going to go. I can't promise how people are going to react. I can't tell you it's all going to be great. But I can promise you, you'll be free. I can promise you that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. That's good news. If you walk in the light, you've got a shot at endurance. The thousand pound tractor that you're carrying, when you put it aside and you come clean, and some of you it's not right now, it's, it'll be later in your life. You'll do something stupid and you'll be tempted to hide it. Don't hide it. Don't do that. It's not going to work. We have to live a life in the light of repentance in order to endure. That is faith. Number two, feed yourself. You got to eat if you're going to endure. Going to get an amen? Anybody hungry? Okay. Okay, that's too much. (laughs) What do you do before a game? You eat. Yes, I don't know why we ate chicken parm sandwiches before basketball games. Here's 3,000 calories. Good luck. It's like, what were we thinking? But we did eat. Okay. What do you do before a long hike? You eat. What do you do before you go on a long car ride with the kids? You tell them, you better be good or we're going to leave you on the side of the road. Just kidding. Slipped out. You tell them, pack a snack. Eat something before we go. I don't want you to hear you complaining. You got to eat. If you're going to endure this evil age, you've got to eat spiritual food. And let me tell you, you need the love of God in your life every day. You've got to feed on the love of God. So many Christians are malnourished because all they get from their churches, their devotionals, whatever, is try harder, do better. It's empty carbs. It's not going to sustain you. You can't do that for very long. Some of you know that. The meat. The the nutrient-packed spiritual liver is the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done for you, not what you must do for God. You get those in the wrong order, you're going to be in trouble. What has God done for you? I would say in your Bible reading, in your devotional life, do not leave that morning unless you have touched on a scripture that speaks to the grace, love, and forgiveness of God. Because you have a conscience. You have the law written 
within you, on your heart, in your conscience, and, and you got plenty of that to go around all day. You need the grace and love of God. So find a scripture. It could be the Old Testament. I was in Genesis 22 this week. Sacrifice of Isaac. That's the gospel. God providing a substitute. I needed to hear it. So, you know, if you're bogged down in the law somewhere, find the gospel. And you can, okay? Sacrifices. There's gospel. Provision. Looking forward to Jesus. You need it. You need to feed on the love of God. Second thing you need to feed on, the prayers of others. This is one of the greatest, I think, underutilized means of encouragement for us as Christians. Prayers of other people. Doesn't encourage you when someone prays for you? Gosh, it feels good. And some of you need to grow here in just asking for prayer. You don't ask. You need it, but you don't ask. You don't say anything. I'm not talking about the vague text asking for prayer. I mean, that's fine. Do that. You send out a mass text, I need prayer. Yeah, us going to God can change things even without that person hearing us. Yes. But you need people praying for you in person, in real life. On Sundays, we should be praying for each other. That that should be normal, that we see each other praying. You share something, can I just pray for you right now? Or you're having a bad week, you're having a bad day, you just, you just bump into somebody, hey, would you mind praying for me? I guarantee you will walk away encouraged. Asking for prayer is a huge act of faith. It is pleasing to God and it is good for you. Let's grow in that. That's how we endure. Number three, lastly, how do you endure? Pursue a platoon. Pursue a platoon. We're at war. Bible just said so. You need a few good Christians to walk with you on the battlefield. And ladies, I know the metaphor is not working for you. Uh, what's the female equivalent to a platoon? A click? No, that's not right. You got to stop doing that. Okay, but you, you got to find some core people in your life to walk with you. I have men in this room, and honestly, ladies, sisters, mothers, who I know I can count on. I know that they love me. I know we're walking together, doing life together. It doesn't have to be formal all the times. It could be, but it could just be informal. You know you have those people in your life that are with you in the foxhole. You need that. You need that. I need that. <laughs> like, I don't know where I'd be without it. Because life is hard. If you don't have that, if you don't feel like you have that, first step, start praying for it. Start asking God to bring those people into your life. And then just take initiative. Who are in, who's in your life that you trust, that you feel safe with, that you can tell the truth and you know they'll tell you the truth? You got to find those people. It doesn't happen typically because of lack of initiative. I think as I'm saying that, most of you are like, yeah, that would be really great. I would love that. That would help me. But it's just, we don't take initiative. We don't pray. We don't look for it. We're not open to it, expecting God to provide. Well, I don't know. who. I, I got enough to worry about. Satan wants you isolated, passive, separated, discouraged. And, and friends, 
all, all it may take is a little initiative. Endurance is not us just going like this for our whole life. It's choices. It's looking forward. It's moving in faith toward what God has for us, the best he has for us. And you need core people in your life. I love that, that some of the young people in our church, they're already forming that. They're doing that. It's fantastic. It's going to help them endure. So wherever you are in life, it's not too late. God has people for you. And the good news is he gives us grace to do these things. He gives us grace to endure. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will endure. But on our side, we need to make choices in faith. We need to take initiative to push back. Yes? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the comfort that names are written in the book and they cannot be whited out. Those you have chosen will endure. You will grant us the gift of faith. We rest in that. We trust your sovereign grace. And also, Lord, as we are called to make decisions and make choices, we pray. I pray for some to come into the light to stop lying, to stop hiding. I pray, Lord, for some to grow in being fed in the word, in the love of God, in the prayers of others, that they would be bold and ask for help. And I pray for some that they would find a core group, they would find a platoon to walk through the war with, arm in arm, in the gospel, caring for each other. We ask that you would do that. We plead with you to do that. And now help us respond in our hearts and with our voices. In Jesus' name, amen.